Kia ora and welcome to Candidate Korero. I'm Ethan Manera. And I'm Zoe Mills, and we are the Salient News Editors. This is our 2023 election podcast, where we'll be chit-chatting with local candidates and the big dog party leaders to break down the dense and boring party politics and show students what's on offer this election season. Keep an eye out for all the upcoming interviews with Wellington Central and Rongatai candidates, and check out the written interviews each week in Salient. So I guess I'll just start by getting you to introduce yourself to maybe a student who's less politically engaged, maybe someone who you've just met at Vic Clubs Week. Yeah. Uh, who you are, what the National Party stands for, and what you'll do for students. Yeah, I'm Nicola Willis. I'm a mother of four kids, aged seven through 13. I'm the deputy leader of the National Party and our finance spokesperson, as well as our social investment spokesperson. Uh, I was first elected to Parliament in 2018. I came in off National's list when Bill English and Stephen Joyce retired. Um, and I'm a former Vic Uni student. I graduated with a uh, English Lit Honours degree, loved my time at Vic, was a member of the Vic debating squad, was dorky enough that that's how I met my husband, he was the third speaker, I was the second speaker, we went to various international and national tournaments together and fell in love as you do uh, and um, I came into politics um Later in life, I wasn't into politics at uni. I wasn't a young nat or anything like that, but I had an amazing experience working with Bill English and John Key as one of their advisors. Um, saw the huge impact politicians can have, the difference they can make to people's lives, and went out, furthered my career at Fonterra, learned a few things about how the world works, and then came back and stood in 2017, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and from my perspective, Nationals' um, view of the world is... How can we make New Zealand a wealthier country with more choices and opportunities for everyone so that students who are studying have great jobs to go to when they're finished um, uh, experiencing an economy with a lower cost of living where um, they can afford to get ahead? Um, And I'm all about uh, showing prospects for the future. uh, And I firmly believe that we do that by strengthening our economy. Yeah, you mentioned cost of living. Yeah. So what would you say are the top three issues students are facing? What are your three priorities for students and young people? Cost of living, cost of living, cost of living. Yeah. Um, and when you break that down for students, they are really caught by one big aspect of the cost of living crisis, which is housing. Mm-hmm. Um, Labour were elected on a platform of solving the housing crisis. By any measure you look at, housing affordability has got worse, both in terms of the affordability of purchasing a home Uh, Rents, which on average across the country have gone up $180 a week. Um, If you look at the number of people who can no longer find a rental in the private rental market and are forced to line up for a state house, that's quadrupled. The number of people requiring emergency housing, um, that's multiplied. And so for students, that housing issue I know is acute because that is the biggest chunk of your spending each Mm. week. And unless we get more houses built and more choice in the rental market that will continue to be a massive pressure for students. So National's very focused on getting at the underlying issues that have driven our housing issues rather than just putting Band-Aids on top. Kiwi Build was a very unsuccessful Band-Aid, um, but we always argued you need to get at the Resource uh, Management Act constraints, the land supply constraints, the infrastructure funding challenges with council to ensure there's more housing. Second area is inflation, um, whether it's food price inflation or inflation in any other goods you're buying. Again, you can take a Band-Aid approach to that and say, 
here's the little noodly thing we're going to do over here or the noodly thing we're going to do over here. Let's be honest with intelligent people. What is driving that increase is inflation that has been out of control, uh, now entering its third year outside of New Zealand's accepted range. And our view's consistently been you need your Reserve Bank focused on fighting inflation and then you need fiscal policy, which is government policy, which wherever possible takes pressure off inflation by not um, indulging in wasteful spending, which puts pressure on inflation and interest rates. So we've got to get that situation under control. And then I guess the third part of, of the cost of living is what we're doing to ensure people have good incomes. Uh, and our view um, for students is, one, uh, we want to make sure that your student allowance keeps, keeps going up with inflation, and that's our commitment. Um, that we continue to fund the student loan scheme, and that that's our commitment. That we continue to have first year fees free, that's our commitment, and interest free student loans, that's our commitment. Um, but importantly, when you graduate, we want to make sure uh, that you're paying less tax when you're working, because at the moment, um, people who are enter on a minimum wage full time job will face a marginal tax rate of 30 cents in the dollar. Well, under our tax plan, that would be reduced to 17 and a half cents, and we think that's a really important work incentive. Uh, and that our tax plan is a good way of ensuring people get to keep more of what they earn. Yeah. I do want to talk a bit about your tax plan. Mm. So that's sort of your flagship cost of living policy going in to sort of ease the cost of living pressures, your mm. back pocket boost. But under that policy, students who are working minimum wage, say a couple shifts a week, mm-hmm. will only get, I think I, I calculated it for myself, which is like fairly representative of the people who I talk to who earn two to $300 a week working part-time on top of studying, mm-hmm. and I think it was $2.69 per fortnight is what mm-hmm. students would get. You said yourself that cost of living is the biggest issue for students. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't National's priority to help not only the squeezed middle, but also students and young people or people who work part-time? We were really conscious um, in putting together our tax plan that there have been, and will continue to be, a number of initiatives for people who... Um, rely on the government for extra support. So um, I think in that category of superannuitants, of beneficiaries, of students, of people who um, are eligible for the accommodation supplement, who are eligible for a range of government supports, and those are important, and National has put together a plan that allows those to continue. Um, Equally, there are people at the other end who are very wealthy and don't need much from the government. So when we put our tax plan together, what we were really focused in on was a group of people who keep presenting themselves to us, which is full-time working people who feel they self-describe as the squeeze middle because they say, whenever the government announces something, uh, it's not for us. We're never the ones eligible for the entitlement because we're not poor enough to qualify, um, but actually we're not rich enough to be getting by. We are really struggling. Um, And so... What we want to have is a tax system that ensures that those people who are busting a gut and are working full-time are getting more reward from their effort. Um, And we do think the cost of living is very important for other groups, and we've always maintained that the most important thing is getting a lid on inflation, because unless we get inflation under control, students are going to continue to struggle very badly. And it's actually an indictment on the current government that they've allowed inflation to remain out of control uh, for now into its 28th month uh, and are intending for it to remain out of control for another year. Mm -hmm. That is a much bigger driver of problems for the student population.
Yeah. So you mentioned the other supports that students get, student mm -hmm. allowance, student loan payments. Are they, would you increase them under, under national? We're proposing to keep the current entitlement regimes. Are they enough, though, if students are having to work multiple part-time jobs, some people even working full-time while studying, it's obviously not enough for students to live on the amount they get from student loans and allowances. Would you not look at increasing that so it's livable? Well, I think for many years there have been students who work um, in order to supplement their income uh, while they study, whether they work during the summer break or whether they work while they're studying. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, in fact, uh, my experience has been that students who've developed a work record while studying are often really employable because they've demonstrated they have a good work ethic. Um, so I don't think in and of itself it's bad that students um, are often juggling uh, paid work and study. Um, I acknowledge the pressures on students can be really significant. That's why we have a student allowance scheme which targets additional support at students who don't have the family income back up to support them. Um, and, I, and I truly think the best thing that a government can do is reduce the costs that are facing students by ensuring inflation is under control, by getting the housing market to function more effectively. Um, and one of the benefits of being a wealthier country um, is that we will have more choices about what we can do for various groups in our population in the future. Um, I think the group that I always have in the back of my mind when we have these discussions is the group of young people in New Zealand who never get the chance to th even think about attending university because they haven't got the basic reading, writing and math skills at the end of the school system that would allow them the university entrance grades to even go to university. And so when we're weighing out our decisions about where we invest another dollar, we always have to remember that there's still a lot of need for basic education for groups of New Zealanders. So um, there's a lot for any government to juggle. Yeah. So on the, that group of people who maybe don't have the prospects to go to university, I want to talk mm. a bit about fees-free because mm -hmm. your position seems to have sort of changed. On the last election, you called it an expensive failure that hasn't increased participation. And it mm -hmm. hasn't. Participation hasn't gone up mm. a lot from fees-free. But now you're proposing to not touch it. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, I think it has failed on the um, policy objectives that Labor set for it. That's demonstrably clear that it hasn't lifted participation as they promised it would. But what it has become and what we accept is that for significant numbers of people and their families, it's become a financial support that they have factored in to their plans, to their study plans, uh, to their savings plans. And in the middle of a cost of living crisis, our view has been that to end that um, entitlement would create a lot of financial insecurity for many families. Would you, if we weren't in a cost of living crisis then, if things cleared up and went got better, would you then look at cutting it? No, our policy is to keep it. Okay, would you look at extending it to do the full three years like no. Labor promised? Would that not be good for national sort of delivery approach? You know, like Labor hasn't been able to deliver the full three years. National could come in. No, it's students. not our priority for additional spending. No, okay. So you commit to not touch it in your first term of government or That's at all. right. That's okay. our policy. Sweet. Transport. I don't know if it was mentioned as one of your priorities, but it is, especially for Wellington students, it is yes. a real headache, a real issue. What would you do for um, public transport for students in Wellington? So the biggest challenge that has come to my desk on public transport in Wellington 
is the fact that the bus service is still so incredibly unreliable. Mm. Cancellations of bus buses, um, buses running late, buses that never show. And what that means for many people is that it is very hard to rely on public transport as your only source of transport if you don't know it's going to turn up on time. Um, so I'm pretty proud of my track record there. As, um, as a first-term MP, I put a huge amount of focus on the, what was at that time called the lasagna of failure, the bus catastrophe, where the mm. regional council embarked on some very wrong-headed changes to the bus routes and the way they were managing all of that. And I was an advocate um, for uh, them fixing it. I think the, the, the thing that we have to acknowledge is that it is in Wellington, the regional council, together with the city council, who are responsible for the delivery of bus services. And I would put to you um, that we all need to look to our councillors to say, are you being accountable for delivering the basic things that we want? And um, I want to continue to be an advocate for them doing their job better. I think it's unacceptable that the buses are constantly late. That's a massive problem. Yeah. They've sort of proven that they aren't capable of delivering it. It's been a long time, and I know there are short yeah. bus driver shortage issues, but is there something central government could do, that national would do, if mm. in government, to improve the situation? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we're going to do is stop them spending time fantasising about trains to Island Bay and doing new visualisations of what light rail might look like and spending literally tens of millions of dollars consulting on fancy-dancy plans for that and say, well, end, let's get Wellington moving. Actually, you need to focus on doing the basics properly, which is delivering the bus service and coordinating together to do that. Um, and we will continue to fund tra public transport subsidies so you can do that effectively. We'll take off your plate the question of what's going to happen with the major national-level infrastructure projects. We will fund the duplication of the tunnel for, the Mount, um, for Mount Vic, including bus capacity so that you can ensure that that's a more reliable route and we'll sort out the basin reserve. That's on us. We'll do that. Don't worry. That'll free up some time for you to go and think about your basics. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, we will uh, commit to getting a road built between Granada and Petone, uh, which will open up land for 5,000 houses and reduce congestion on Noronga Gorge. So those two projects we will deliberate and then we will ask the local councils to focus on their local delivery. Um, we will make funding available to them through the NZTA Waka Kotahi process for projects, um, but our focus will be much more on reliable public transport and less on um, building a lot more cycleways. Yeah, you just said um, in there that you'd continue public transport subsidies for users. Mm. Is National's policy not to scrap the half-price fees for under 25s? That is our policy. Right, and why... Why is that? Are you able to explain a bit behind that decision to get rid of that subsidy? Uh, well, that was that policy's only been in place for a few months under Labor. Um, it's a top-up to the um, already significant subsidies which are there, which are the subsidies that we are committing to maintaining. Um, and again, the evidence is pretty clear that the biggest barrier to people using public transport isn't the fare, it's whether or not it's reliable. Um, and there isn't good evidence that that um, change in the subsidy regime has increased a use of public transport in any meaningful way. Yeah. And on Let's Get Wellington Moving as well, mm. is it fair to come in and scrap that when the people of Wellington have elected a regional council and a city council 
which campaigned on, let's get Wellington moving, like the mayor, most of the councillors campaigned on delivering this project. Is it fair for the central government to come in and say, actually, no, that's not right, and then make a captain's call on something that the people of Wellington overwhelmingly have supported? So here's another question. Okay. What have the council who elected themselves on this platform delivered? out of Let's Get Wellington Moving. Well, you'd have to ask the council that. I well, I, I have asked them, and I can give you the answer. Okay. A, a pedestrian crossing across Cobham Drive, which has slowed down traffic on a state highway. Literally tens of millions of dollars on consultancy reports, offices that they have hired, strategies that they have printed, um, and no decisions on the major transport projects for New Zealand's future, and... Um, huge amounts of waste and churn. There has actually been division between the regional council and the city council, division over the city council itself about what they want to deliver. And at no stage have they articulated how they would fund the projects to the extent that even the mayor has admitted that some of the commitments she made in her election campaign would not be metable within her first term and that she'd now realised she'd need multiple terms to deliver them. So our view is the council has absolutely got a democratic mandate to pursue the local projects that they wish to pursue, but it is not conducive to action for us to be sitting at the table having a discussion when we can get on and make things happen. And we will get on and make things happen. Do you like the idea of a light rail? No. Personally? It just doesn't add up. On a personal level, though, like besides the politics of how expensive it is, wouldn't you like to get on a little train out to... Island Bay and stuff. Does that not sound I just appealing? find it really hard to separate that from the fact that when you're talking about billions of dollars and I think about what that could do, for example, for a really reliable point-to-point bus service, you've just got to compare what's going to create the most benefit for the most people. And it seems to me wrong to create a really expensive transport line for a very limited group of people when we should be thinking about how can we maximise the value of every dollar and ensure that Wellingtonians across the suburbs from different walks of life with different shifts, different um, needs, are getting better public transport into the future. So it's just not, from a cost-benefit analysis perspective, it doesn't stack up. Um, and look, my kids love their train sets too, but, you know, uh, we're all adults now. Yeah. So if it, if it were built... Yeah. Besides your best wishes, you wouldn't be getting on the train You'd out of principle, or would you... Mark my words, the... Ethan, we could be here in 10 years and it still won't be built. Okay. But if it was, Nicola Willis would not be seen on that, Just on that light rail. Look, look this, that's not what it is, because this, look, the only light rail that's getting ridden is in the fantasies of politicians who keep talking about it who keep throwing it out there as something they're going to do, and they've made no progress. Here's the best example. Labor promised, as their signature campaign promise, the first big campaign promise that Jacinda Ardern made in 2017, was that she would get light rail built, and it would be to Mount Roskill by 2021. There is literally not a metre of track that has been laid. And the reason for that is as soon as people start looking into the detail of a light rail proposition, it is so incredibly expensive relative to the benefit that it gives. So we have to be practical about what we can be de- what we can deliver. And I absolutely want to jump on board great rapid transit, great buses, see that this is a city that has better public transport connections, that is much more effective. Um, but I think we've wasted so many years and so many hours and so many dollars talking about a light rail plan that just fundamentally isn't affordable. Um, that it's frustrated action on the things that really matter. And so I don't want to indulge that fantasy. Okay. Housing. 
Yep. What's National's plan to improve the housing situation for, for students, for renters in Wellington? So we start from the premise that politicians for too long have tried to simplify the housing problem by saying we can solve it with this band-aid or that band-aid. Kiwi build, 100,000 houses, that's going to solve it. Banning foreign buyers, that's going to solve it. Capping rents, that's going to solve it. And none of that stuff actually works. And so what we need to do is get at the underlying drivers of our housing problem, which amounts to the fact that housing supply, the building of homes, has not kept up with our demand for houses, our population growth. And when you analyse why that hasn't happened in New Zealand, all the economists will tell you, and anyone who's analysed our housing market will tell you, it's because we have really significant constraints on the use of land for housing. So, and the way that infrastructure is funded for housing, such that local government is not incentivised to zone land for housing, it's not incentivised to consent housing, it's not incentivised to say yes to housing. So our um, approach is to say to every local government, you now need to zone for 30 years' worth of housing growth. That is a requirement by law. You work out where you're going to do it. It can be greenfields, it can be building up, it can be building out. But if you don't zone for enough of it, we as government will have to intervene. When you zone for that, we recognise that comes with some infrastructure costs, so we're going to help out. You know, For example, we're going to build that Petone to Granada road that's going to open up land for 5,000 homes plus. But also, we're going to make a fund available to you so that if you um, do get extra houses consented, we'll give you an extra $25,000 for every house that's consented. So council, here's a way to make some money. We'll also give you new tools in the law so that you can finance um, the extra infrastructure that comes with new subdivisions and densification. That all sounds really boring, but actually, unless we get to those underlying drivers of housing supply, we're going to keep having these issues. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is we need a better functioning rental market. Our view on that is that the addition of extra costs to landlords has led to big increases in rents, uh, and so we want to remove those additional taxes um, to take pressure off rents. And then the third part of it is what we do in the affordable part of the market. We want to remove the restrictions in the Overseas Investment Act that currently stop people investing in New Zealand in what is called build-to-rent housing, so long-term rental accommodation like you see in other countries in the world. So we want to fix that part up. And we want to work with community housing providers to deliver more social and affordable housing. Yeah. So I want to talk specifically about what you said around the rental market. I mean, the council stuff... We just talked about how useless the council is. It's long term. It won't. It's not the same immediate levers that the government can pull to fix the rental market. So, what will you do for the rental market? I know you guys want to reinstate no cause evictions and then also removing interest deductibility. How will those things improve the situation for students and not just landlords? So, um, when the government was facing um, the massive thirty percent house price growth in a year that happened after the Reserve Bank printed lots of money and the government borrowed lots of money, um, they were in real trouble on housing. And so, in my view, they were looking for someone to blame. They went and asked their officials for advice on what would happen if they removed interest deductibility for landlords and extended the Bright Line test for landlords. And their officials were pretty clear with them that if they did that, the risks were they would... um, that actually tenants would bear the cost of that through higher rents and through churn in the rental market, which would lead more tenants to um, to be flipped out of their homes and to need to turn to social housing. 
Um, so the government were warned of that, but they were determined to blame landlords for the housing problems in this country, which in my view have much more complex causes. Um, they went ahead with those changes to the tax treatment of rental properties, and subsequently we've seen exactly what the officials warned. Rents have gone up considerably. Um, many more people um, have had to leave the private rental market and try and find a home elsewhere. So our view is by restoring interest deductibility, by bringing the bright line test back to two years, we essentially create um, uh, a more competitive rental market once again. Yeah, so I, I am aware that that has increased rents, but I believe there's also a Treasury report that said reinstating interest deductibility would not reduce rents for tenants. How would, and I know you say it would put downward pressure on rents, remove pressure off rents, mm-hmm. but would it actually reduce the rent price or would landlords just pocket the extra cash that they get to make? So here's the choice that people face. In one scenario, we go ahead with Labor's plan where they intend to keep removing interest deductibility, keep phasing it out. It's not fully phased out yet. What that means if you're sitting there and you're a landlord is the cost of providing your rental property is going to considerably increase for the next two years under Labor because your your tax bill basically gets a lot bigger. So I've talked to those landlords and they say under the scenario as it currently is under Labor, the costs are going to get so high that even landlords who have worked really hard not to lift um, rents on their tenants because they know how hard it's going to be for them to meet them feel they have no choice. Landlords who are looking at um, whether they can make their rental property pay are going to be forced to lift their rents considerably in order to meet those increasing costs. The other choice is we do Nationals' approach, which is that we don't keep adding that pressure and landlords don't face that extra cost. And I think that that means that they will be less likely to have to do the big rent hikes that seem inevitable under Labor's plans. Would rents go down under that, though? Would rent prices actually Well, that'll depend on what individual landlords do. Would you Um, put a mechanism in place to ensure that that savings passed along? No, because around the world where rent controls have been placed on um, the evidence is that it um, reduces housing supply, which just gets us back to the beginning of our problem. But if landlords are making a saving from a policy that you guys introduce or scrapping a policy that Labor's put in, why would that not be beneficial to ensure that it was passed on to renters if you're saying this is a renter-friendly policy? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is a rental-friendly policy and I think um, it'll mean that landlords are less likely to do the kinds of rent hikes that are inevitable under Labor. Do you want rents to go down in price? I want rents to be more affordable for people. But do you want this specifically to reduce price? Well, in Wellington, uh, the, the, what I look at is that we've got a rental market where um, you've got a major problem and that there aren't enough rental properties. And you see that every summer when students come to try and find a flat and you've got 80 people queued up outside. So I want to see a lot more rental properties come onto the market and I think that would make it more competitive in the medium term. Okay. No cause evictions is another policy you want to reinstate. How do you sell that to students? Why, why would students support a policy which would mean that their rentals are less secure? Well, um, I want you to think about the person whose life has not gone perfectly, who for whatever reason has ended up in prison or who has got themselves a really bad credit rating Um, I want you to think about the person who has four kids and is a solo parent. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a landlord who's making a decision about whether or not they rent their property to that person. And they look at them and they go, actually, you're a terrible risk. And if I rent my property out to you, 
I'm never going to be able to um, do anything about it if you don't pay your rent or you cause me problems. But there are, um, there are the mechanisms moment, in place if people aren't paying their rent for them very, to um, Very difficult to use, those tenancy tribunal mechanisms in place. That, that The landlords say that they look at that and they think, well, that's going to be a headache and a nightmare and I'm going to end up in a tribunal, I'm going to end up having to put together documentation and working with a lawyer. I think on the margin there will be landlords who will say, actually, I want to take a risk on you. You're trying to get a better start in life. It's worth, it's worth the risk. And at the end of the day, if you don't hold up your part of the bargain, um, then I have options. Right. Do you acknowledge it's a bit of a hard sell, though, to students to say, we want to make it easier for you to be turfed out, essentially? Like, how do you communicate that to students that it's actually a good thing for renters? Well, I think that um, most students are going to have landlords who want them to stay. The last thing a landlord wants is to be constantly rechurning, finding new tenants. That's a real pain. What landlords want is tenants who stay in place, do a good job looking after the property because they don't want to have to face the cost of advertising, of having people through the house, of changing the bond lodging, mm. all of that sort of thing. So um, I think students um, sh- have nothing to fear from our policy. Okay. Last, last question, public service. So you guys want to get rid of the backroom bloat, want to trim down the public service. Lots of students and young people, especially like recent graduates, want to go work in the public service. What do you say to the students who are like maybe a bit concerned about if national come to government that the opportunities could go, or people who are already working in the public service, recent graduates, who might lose their jobs? Like uh, the there boxes? will be some amazing opportunities in the public service because... Um, Working in the public service provides um, a chance to have a real impact on the lives of New Zealanders. And when our public service is operating at its best, it is efficient, it is creating value for money, it is ensuring maximum impact for the dollars that we as a country spend. In recent years, despite spending 80% more each year as a country, we have seen our health service struggle waiting lists grow, emergency rooms are overcrowded, we have seen education standards decline, Uh, we've seen across a raft of measures that despite spending more, we're not getting the impact we need. I see the future for the public service under a national-led government as an opportunity to be part of the problem solvers that work out how we can get better impact out of public money and out of frontline services and Um, Students who are studying today should look to that as an opportunity for a career that could be incredibly rewarding, um, being part of that problem-solving team. Because unless we resolve that challenge of ensuring we are getting more value out of the money we spend, our current trajectory as a country is unsustainable. Our debt has gone from $5 billion to $100 billion uh, in record time. Uh, We're running massive deficits, and yet our social services haven't demonstrably improved. We need to do better. We're going to need really smart people helping us with that problem. Yeah, but you do want to cut down the size of the public service so people will lose their jobs. How do you justify that to to graduates who are looking for roles in the public service and seeing an incoming government that want to trim down their job prospects? Well, our target is not about um, numbers of jobs. Our target is about the efficiency of the public service. So we've been really specific that what we want to do is reduce the cost of departments running themselves so that we can put more money into the front line. So what I say to the student who's looking for a graduate job in the um, public services, there will still be graduate jobs 
and we are going to need the best and the brightest because we've got a huge challenge ahead of us as a country to drive more out of our public service to get better frontline services for New Zealanders uh, while also facing a constrained fiscal environment. And it's going to be constrained whether it's Labour or National. So there's a huge opportunity to be a graduate who enters the public service, thinks differently, thinks creatively, thinks about how we solve the problems of New Zealand's future. But are jobs in the public service not going to be cut under National? Well, what we have said is that we want to work with chief executives across 24 agencies that we've identified who collectively have increased their departmental costs by 62%. And we want to uh, say to the chief executives, please tell us where you can find 6.5% of um, savings. In some cases, the departments will find less than that. In some cases, they'll find more. Come back to us with your recommendations uh, and then we will um, act on those. We want to do that in a way that preserves frontline services. Um, but yeah, there are options that will mean job vacancies won't be filled. Um, there are options that may mean that some teams working on existing projects are no longer critical. So there's a lot of ways that could be met. It may be that they don't need to rent um, as big offices they've been renting. It may be that they don't need to be spending as much on advertising, on public relations, on task forces and working groups. Um, there's a number of ways those savings reductions could be made. Just finally, last question. Yeah. Give you 30 seconds to a minute. What's your, your pitch to students? I know we've just had about half an hour of that, but what is your, your sales pitch? Why should students, young people, yeah. vote national? I think it's pretty obvious to smart people that New Zealand's been heading in the wrong direction. Our cost of living has been rising. Crime has been rising. Public services have been declining. Um, we need a change to a government that is much more ambitious for New Zealand's future, that can put together the foundations for a much stronger economy, which means getting inflation and interest rates under control, reducing the cost of living, ensuring we have the kind of business success, investment and jobs that drive better incomes into the future, and that we ensure we get the books in order so we can deliver great frontline services into the future. I reckon that's why people go to study, because they are aspirational and they want a lot for themselves and their country. And if that's your vision, uh, then vote for National because a vote for Labour is a vote for more of the same failure, which we have had over six years. Leopards don't change their spots. If Labour are re-elected, it'll be more of the same failure. National offers a better path. Sweet. Thank you so we'll much. Get, we'll get New Zealand back on track. Oh, throw in the, throw in the lines there. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time and good luck for the campaign. Thank you.